0: What a great privilege to be here. I am so excited to be here because the last time I was here, this building was just, just kind of a dream. and actually at that time, it was a fading dream because there were some struggles in figuring out how to get here. And so Pastor Sean and I were, were driving around in the parking lot. We couldn't even come in the building at that time uh, after church in the other location, and so got to pray with him right here in the parking lot, and then to get to stand here in this miracle that God has done is just so, so cool. Uh, so over almost 10 years, uh, almost just over nine years, we've been friends, and uh, your pastors, Sean and Diana, are amazing. I love them with all of my heart. They've, they've been at our home, and yeah, come on, yeah, give it up for your pastors. And... Uh, we're just dear friends. We spend a lot of time together, uh, not just at church or doing church, but outside of church. And so uh, they're very close to Rachel and I. Uh, we love them so much. And, and this church is just really an absolute miracle. That's why I'm so excited to be here and just kind of be along for the journey for the last nine years of your almost 15 years, which is pretty remarkable uh, to watch this. And, and you guys have the privilege. Some of you are here for the first time, which we're so glad that you're here But some of you have the privilege of coming, uh, being a part of this week in and week out. You're in small groups. You've gone through the growth track. You're serving on the dream team. And all that's awesome. But what you may not realize is the scope of the miracle that you're a part of. So I'm here all the way from Birmingham, Alabama, (laughs) to tell you from the outside looking in, you need to know that you're in the midst of a miracle called the Fellowship Church. God is doing great things through you. And... uh, cuz God doesn't use buildings he uses people. So this building just gave us room for more people for, to do great things for God and so it's it's super cool uh, to be a part of this and and it it's just I'm in awe really and I hope that you are too. And you might not even realize how other churches are learning from you. So tomorrow night actually Right here in this room, there's going to be almost four hundred. We actually might break four hundred pastors and leaders from around the west part of the country coming here to learn how you do church. Yeah, so you just you just think you're a part of church and your church is actually a part of a lot of other churches, and what you do here is going to be exponentially used. For those churches, for them to grow, and until we get to heaven, you won't know the investment that you've made and the impact that you've had in places and in people that you've never been or, or ever met, in Jesus' name. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. But I, I, I honestly do love Sean and Diana so much, and whenever you really, really love somebody, it's just kind of a natural byproduct that you love who they love. And when we're, whenever we're together, whether we're texting or on the phone or hanging out at a church conference. All I hear from your pastors is how much they love you, and because I love them and they love you, I kind of automatically love you, and I hope you're okay with that. Even though I'm a stranger, maybe you've never seen me before, <laughs> maybe you weren't here the last time I was here, but I hope you're, you're all right with that, and so, oh, thank you so much. I feel the love, feel the love. So uh, I, I do feel like I'm at home. So from Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, and my senior pastor, Chris Hodges, uh, we love you, and we are uh, so honored to be a part of, of what God is doing here through you. And now this series is pretty amazing. Last words, last words of Jesus. Here He is uh, going to the cross, and, and what, a, what an important time of, of His life on planet Earth, being fully God, yet fully man, uh, to look at those last hours and look at what He said, because my goodness, how important would it be uh, to learn from that? Last week, we started this series with your pastor teaching on forgiveness. And if you weren't here, you need to go online and you need to watch that message because it will change your life. Because Jesus models for us how we can live our lives in the midst of our bad day. In our worst moments, we want to look at Jesus and how we can learn from Him. And that's what we started last week. And here our theme scripture is, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished This race we're in. Everybody, you have to finish to win. Jesus finished and he won the greatest race in history, okay? And so here's what this series is all about. Study how he did it, okay? That's what we're doing. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish. And with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Absolutely anything. The cross, shame, whatever and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside of God and so we know that all of us have had or we will have bad days in this series last words is to help us handle our bad days how do we get through the worst of times the worst things that we'll face and so Jesus is hanging on the cross and at about noon that day in the middle of the day darkness falls like it just goes dark in the middle of the day. Not nighttime. I mean, this is a, a kind of a scary moment, not just for Jesus, but for those that are there. And for three hours, there's darkness. And so Jesus is obviously experiencing tremendous physical pain from the torture that he'd endured, from the, the, the lashes on his back, the, the thorns in his head, and all the 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 excruciating beating that he took, and then the nails in his hands and his feet, and he's hanging there, now in the dark, betrayed and lonely. Darkness, many of you have been there in that moment where you feel no one is there for you. Not even God is there for you. And Jesus cried out probably something that you've said verbally or you felt in your heart. And he cries out to his Father, My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? There's so much we can learn from that one statement. Because I know, if you're human, you've asked the question, why? I think it's the the most natural response when we are suffering, when we're hurting, in our worst moments, we want to ask God why. I say we want to because many of us won't. Because we think maybe it's a sin or it's disrespectful to ask God why. But Jesus set an example for us. Jesus asked the question so that we could ask the question. Because he is setting for us an example that we can live out. And that is Jesus did what we can do. And that is aim your hard questions toward God, not man. Like the most difficult questions... The ones that you know your friends can't answer. Your husband or your wife can't answer. Your, your closest friends can't answer. No one in your life can answer those questions but God. God can handle your hardest question. He can carry that weight. He wants you to ask that question. I would submit that to you. That no matter what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, the darkness, the loneliness, the pain, the betrayal, Go ahead and aim your hard question, your why, toward God. And he'll begin to do a work in you. Jesus set a great example for us in that. The worst day of my life I have to share with you because many of you have already thought of your worst day. You know what that's like. Tragedy, pain, disappointment, betrayal, whatever it is for you. My current pastor, Chris Hodges, your pastor's pastor that I work for at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, was my youth pastor 28 years ago when I was in high school and had a huge impact on my life and he ended up leaving Colorado, going back to his home state of Louisiana and and, uh, working at his home church for several years. Then he was called to Birmingham to start Church of the Highlands 16 years ago. Well, when he was called to Birmingham and I heard the story of what God was doing in him, I felt called to go with him and so... Uh, My wife, Rachel, and I, we moved from Colorado Springs, Colorado to Birmingham, Alabama to help Pastor Chris start Church of the Highlands, and one of the things that, that he had a vision for when God was calling us was he had a vision for a ministry school to train young people in ministry, and then put them in as many churches around the nation and even the world as possible, and so... As we were getting ready to leave Colorado, we started recruiting because I was a youth pastor, a lay youth pastor. I worked in our family towing and recovery business, but I had, I had about 70 high school students in a small group that would meet on my house on Tuesday nights, so I start recruiting from these students I have relationship with, hey, why don't you move to Birmingham with me and help me start this ministry school that Pastor Chris has a vision for. It's now called Highlands College. And I recruited about 15 students from Colorado to move to Birmingham. One of them is our worship pastor. One of them is his wife. And one of them is our creative pastor now 16 years later at Church of the Highlands. Just an amazing class of young people. Yeah, God did a great work. One of our children's pastors was in that group. So there are four staff members out of those 15 right now at Highlands still 16 years later. And so I'm just recruiting students. And then even the younger ones, I was like, okay, you, you, you're not ready to graduate yet, but next year, after you graduate, after your senior year, come on to Birmingham. We'd love to have you. And one of those young men, his name was Tyler Glicken, and, and he was a junior. And I said, man, you, you just got to come. And, and so after we've done uh, Highlands College for a year in Birmingham, he comes into our second year as a freshman, goes through his, his freshman year, and then he, he goes through his first semester of his sophomore year, and it's Christmas break. And so on Christmas break, all our students are going home, obviously many of them going back to Colorado. He got up very early uh, that morning and, uh, and was driving uh, to the Birmingham airport at like 5 a.m. in the dark, and and someone came on this two-lane highway and crossed over and hit him head on and killed him in a car accident. And now my worst day begins. Like this is the worst day of my life to date, stood there next to his body in the UAB hospital emergency room and started to ask why. God, why? Why did I even invite him? Why did I recruit him? Why did I encourage him to come? If I would have kept my mouth shut, he'd be alive today. He'd be with his family this Christmas. Why? It's the worst day of my life. Painful. It just so happened that I was going home to Colorado to see my family as well. And my flight was later the same day. So I left UAB Hospital with a Ziploc bag with his wallet, his cell phone, his watch, and a few other items that were on him. And that very night, I walked into the house with his parents, his two younger sister and younger brother. It's the worst day of my life. may not be worse than yours probably not most of you have experienced pain and you've been in that place where you've hurt so deeply and you've questioned God and if you're like me you've got mad at God like so angry God why 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 and yet Jesus set for us this amazing example saying it's okay to ask why and we can look to God in those moments and he wants us to look to him in those moments. And so when God doesn't make sense, there's some very important things for us to do. First of all, I would encourage you, you have to trust in His nature. And you can trust in His nature because His nature is good. I was raised in church. I I wish I could tell you I enjoyed it, but I didn't. (laughs) The Bible says... I was glad when they said unto me, go into the house of the Lord. I was mad when my mom made me go to church. I was not glad. It was kind of painful, actually, until I was a junior in high school and went to Pastor Chris's youth group and saw that it could be life-giving and it could be wonderful. But anyways, my perception of God growing up was that he had a sledgehammer in one hand and a bolt of lightning in the other waiting for Lane to mess up. I thought that was God's nature. Some of you, unfortunately, think that way as well. It couldn't be further from the truth. That is the most unbiblical view of who God is. He is a good God. He is a loving God. He is 100% good. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's His nature. He's compassionate. He wants to give us comfort. 1 John 4.8 says, God is love. That's who He is. What is love? It's God. Who is God? He is love. That's that's it. God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. There is no evil in God, and there is no good in the devil. The nature of our God is that He is good, He is perfect, and He is love, and we have to trust that. God, I don't feel love right now. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. I'm shocked. I'm lonely. I'm afraid. Whatever you're going through, you need to trust in His nature. Next, you need to trust in His promises. The promises of God are, are almost endless. I mean, just the Scriptures alone, just so many promises of God. Way too many to share with you all. Talk a little bit about that. 2 Corinthians 1:20, For No matter how many promises God has made, they are Yes, see that, they are good promises, and through Him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Not in your notes. Hebrew 13:5. God says, "Never will I leave you or forsake you." He did not leave Jesus on the cross. He did not forsake Jesus, but Jesus still felt forsaken. God has never left you. He has never forsaken you. It's okay if you felt like he has. You have permission. Jesus gave you permission. But you've got to trust in his promises. You've got to trust in his nature. Romans 8.28, one of my favorite verses. God will take all things, not some things, all things, and work them together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So your deepest pain, he can turn that into good. Your worst tragedy can be turned into good. That's a promise of the living God. And lastly, and probably most importantly, for us to try to wrap our brains around, is that we have to trust in His final destination. This is not our home, everybody. Oh, it's beautiful here in Northern California. My goodness. I'm from the Rocky Mountains. They're called the Rocky Mountains because nothing is green. (laughs) It all looks like rocks, okay? It's very, like, I, I just, when I'm, when I'm here, I'm always just blown away at how green everything is. It's just absolutely beautiful. But no matter how beautiful earth is, it doesn't compare to heaven. We have to trust in its final destination. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Before I read the next part of this Scripture, you have to know who's writing this. This is the Apostle Paul. He he has, has many times been beaten, been whipped, been near death, been shipwrecked, been snake bitten, been tortured. I mean, this guy's been imprisoned and whipped and chained up in shackles. I mean, this guy has had it rough. And look what he says about all that. For our light and momentary. Everybody say light and say momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen, our pain, our sorrow, our hurt, all that is temporary, but as what is unseen is eternal. Jesus went through the worst on earth so we could experience God's best in heaven. He did that for you and he did that for me that's for us and so as we trust him when he doesn't make sense as we aim our hard questions at God when we're hurting in our in our lowest of lows what do we do let's let's try to figure out how we can actually move beyond the why how can we move past the question because I believe there's power if we can get there there's freedom if we can get there. There's hope and healing if we can get there, if we can look beyond the why. I love what the prophet Isaiah spoke about Jesus. This was before Jesus ever came to earth, but it speaks directly to us today, right where we are. In Isaiah 63:9, he prophesied this. In their suffering, that's us, it's our suffering, he also suffered, and he personally suffered rescued them. He rescued us. In his love and mercy, he redeemed us. He lifted us and carried. Everybody say carried. Carried Carried them through all the years. That's our God. That's Jesus. That's what he is doing for us. So I want to look at three practical shifts that we can make in our life where we can go from here to there and see God do something great. I want to share another story. We were just pretty much newlyweds. I've been married almost 21 years. It'll be 21 in May uh, to my beautiful wife, Rachel. Yeah, thank you for clapping. Yeah, you should clap for her, not for me. It's quite, a, quite an accomplishment she has for sure. Um, <laughs> it's like 21 years. It's been like maybe the 12 best of our lives, you know? <laughs> I thought that was funny. A few people up here thought it was funny, but anyways... So we're, we're basically newlyweds, maybe year, married over, just over a year, and we feel like God is saying, go ahead and start a family. And I'm like, okay, let, let's, I, I thought we'd maybe wait a few years, but okay, if that's what God's saying. And, and so we try to get pregnant first month, get pregnant. That's awesome, but also I was a little disappointed. I was looking forward to trying for a while. But I hope that was okay to say in church. Um but you, you know what I'm saying. Anyways, <laughs> let's move on. Focus, people. So we find out, you do the little pregnancy test Friday, find out we're pregnant on Friday. We hadn't told anybody yet. We're real excited, getting ready to, you know, kind of figure out what do we tell our parents first? What do we do? And on Monday, we find out that something's wrong. And go to the hospital and see doctors and and they explain that something that we didn't even really know what it was. It's called a tubal pregnancy. It's it's where the baby begins to grow in the fallopian tube, not in the uterus. So the baby will never never survive. And in the old days, it would actually grow until uh, there would be a rupture and actually kill the, the woman. And so thanks to modern medicine, not, that wasn't going to happen. So she has to have surgery. So they do surgery, and while they're, while they're doing their work, they basically come back and tell us after the surgery, we're very sorry, uh, but what we found is that you'll never be able to get pregnant naturally. Um, and so we're going from kind of disappointment to pain to more pain, more questions. Why, God? Why, God? Why? They gave us a little bit of hope, and they said there is a, a procedure that was really meant for somebody just like you that would kind of take place of, of what's wrong in your body, and it's called in vitro, and if you do IVF, there's a good chance that that'll work, and so we had a little bit of hope, but we also knew that's about a $20,000 uh, investment to try. Like, it's a, it's definitely a gamble. It's not a guarantee, and, and then Several months later, God opened the doors where we were able to participate in what's called a drug study, a kind of, in lack of a better term, an experiment, and so we got in vitro, got to do the process for $2,000 instead of $20,000. Okay, God's beginning to open doors. This is amazing. Okay, now we're, now we're going from why to expecting a miracle, and this is going to be so great and it's so excited, and so we go through the process, and it didn't work. And in that process, they, they are able to take, for lack of a better term, leftover fertilized eggs and freeze them for a second go-around on another day. That doesn't make any sense to me, but that's what they can do. And so we still have a little bit of hope left, and we're going to wait a year and then go through that process again and see if it works a second time. And, and we're just continuing to turn our hearts toward God and try to get through some of these hard questions And we were about nine months into that year waiting process and my pastor called me and he said, Lane, I know the struggle that you and Rachel have been having and my cousin who's an attorney in a small town in Kansas just had a teenage couple walk into his office and they want to give their baby up in a couple months when it's born for adoption. Would you be, yes. Oh, I better pray about it. Yes. Yes. So adoption came into our life. We were a few months away of thinking we were doing IVF, and two months later, we're holding Ashlyn on her birthday in a little hospital room. Whew. Receiving the greatest gift that you could ever imagine. They gave us our own room. Diana was awesome. Like, we had our own hospital room, and she slept in our room that night, her first night. And my baby Ashlyn... Became a part of our family. My firstborn. All of a sudden. All of a sudden, the whys didn't matter anymore. All of a sudden, God did a miracle. All of a sudden, there was a bigger picture. There was something that He was able to do out of the bad and make it good. And I would go through the pain ten times, a hundred times to have my Ashlyn. I'm just telling you. Our why didn't get answered in a, in a week or two. No, it was a couple years of asking, and God did a miracle. I have a picture of Ashlyn. This is a couple years ago on a mission trip. That's my baby. It's my baby. We waited for Ashlyn to get a year, get about a year old, and then we went ahead and pulled those other ones out of the freezer. And uh, it sounds crazy, I know, but that's kind of what happens. And we did an IVF again, and it worked. And I got another baby girl. We have a picture of Devin with the whole family. Devin is on my right. um, And uh, next to Devin's horse, and that's our little dog, Sasha. And then my wife, Rachel, on the left. And uh, so both my babies are miracles. Both my babies are miracles. Praise God for that. When God doesn't make sense, His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We have to trust him and we have to make a shift. And so let me tell you about the first shift that we can make. We've got to shift from why to what. What can I learn? In the midst of my pain, in the midst of questioning God, in the midst of tragedy, what can I learn? Hebrews 5 8. even though Jesus was God's Son, this is so interesting to me, unbelievable. He learned obedience. How did Jesus learn obedience? Did He learn obedience when God said go lay hands on a blind man and He restored His sight and go lay hands on Lazarus and He came up from the grave? Nope, that's not when, when Jesus learned obedience. He learned obedience from what? The things He suffered. If we will make the shift... To what can we learn? God can do far more through our pain than you ever imagined. You can learn more than you ever wanted to learn if you will just lean into God and try to learn in that moment. Spurgeon said this, The fire has not been a bed of roses, but it has been a chariot of victory. We can choose to make it that way. God can always do something in you no matter how bad it is around you. Jesus didn't promise us a trouble-free life as humans on this earth. He actually said, in this world, you will have trouble. He promised us trouble. Some of you are like, Lane, could you be more positive? Okay, I'm positive you're going to have trouble in your life. Like, because Jesus said that would happen. But we, we, if we just learn in and try to learn from it, every situation, what can we learn? 2 Corinthians 1.9. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. Jesus had to rely on God in that moment, had to put everything in God. We can do the same. Pain is not the plan, but it can reveal a better plan if I can shift from what, from why to what can I learn? The next shift, this would be extremely practical, but I would say if, if you take anything away from today, you, you need to take this away from it, and, and it will change your pain. It will change your why, and that is shift from why to worship. I don't feel like worshiping. I'm angry at God. I'm asking him why. Worship is the last thing I want to do, Lane. You don't know my pain. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know how I've been abused. And you're right, I don't. But Jesus does. And if we can make a shift from why to worship, who, buddy, watch out. He can do something so good. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Here's what I believe. If we will worship, that devouring fire will devour our pain. It will devour our disappointment. It will devour our depression. It will devour our loneliness. It will devour... Our deepest hurts. But it doesn't happen when we're like, oh, praise God, I want to worship. I can't wait to worship. That's not when it's going to happen. It's when we make a decision through the tears, through the disappointment, to go after God anyway. A little over three years ago, I got that phone call none of us want to get. My mom called me. She said, your dad has cancer. They found a huge tumor over his stomach and his esophagus esophageal cancer it's really bad it's really big it's not good lots of questions God why he's only 64 why and you, you just go there the next day or so was one of our first Wednesday services you guys have them here if you've never been to first Wednesday I encourage you to come we have more time than we do on Sundays. We can worship more and just kind of disconnect from the world a little bit more than we have time for. And it, I mean, it's just so powerful. But here I am, a, a pastor at Church of the Highlands, and I don't want to go to church, but I have to go to church. I don't want to worship God because I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm freaked out. And yet I decided, just made a decision to go anyways. And during worship, it was not something I wanted to do, but it was something I did anyways. The Bible describes that as a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice is something you don't want to give, but you give it anyways. I didn't want to give him worship because I was angry and hurt, but I gave it anyways. And as I worshiped, I'll never forget this, as I worshiped, the pain began to ease. As I worshipped, God got bigger and my dad's cancer got smaller. As I worshipped, everything began to change inside of me. And it wasn't because I was some super spiritual leader that wanted to do it. I'm telling you, it was a sacrifice. I had to force myself to do it. Pain can be the greatest driver of closeness to God. It, It can push you toward Him. Now, the enemy wants pain to separate you from God. But you have to make a decision and make the shift to go after Him anyway. King David in the Old Testament, he went through a lot of junk. And in one of his lowest moments, some Bible scholars actually say that Jesus was actually quoting David because David said in Psalm 22:1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Through his pain, he asked the question. And if you read later, In that same chapter, you see his response. And as he's crying out to God, he's obviously hurting. This is not a response that was easy for him. Pick it up in verse 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise. Everybody say praise. Praise. You among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not... Ignored me. He's not ignored me. He has not belittled my suffering or that of the needy. He has not turned his back on us, but he has listened to our cries for help. In Jesus' name. The harder God is to see, the more we need to magnify him. How do we magnify Him? We worship Him. But Lane, I can't sing. Well, neither can I. Stand with me at the front by the speakers. It's always better up here so nobody can hear us. Worship is not a talent. Worship is a state of being. I'm going to give Him my my worship. I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to get Him bigger so everything else gets smaller. We went through months and months of treatments, and my dad went through a a horribly brutal surgery to remove half his stomach and most of his esophagus. And and, uh, praise God, now three years later, thank you, Jesus, he's he's still cancer-free in Jesus' name. But I'm telling you, my breakthrough came when I shifted from why to worship. That's what God has for you as well. The third thing that we can do and this one might not sound too fun, but I'm telling you, it's powerful. And that is shift from why to who. Who can I help? As Pastor Sean leads this series in the coming weeks, you're going to see a, f- a few of Jesus' statements. The last seven statements on the cross had to do with other people. About us shifting our focus away from our own pain on how we could help someone else in their pain. It's a powerful shift that we can make Hebrews thirteen sixteen, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need okay well these are the sacrifices that please God remember the word that means doing things you didn't want to do so in your pain don't forget to make a sacrifice to take care of somebody else to do good for somebody else to share with somebody else a few weeks ago We had a man in our church lose his wife, tragically, mother of two teenage boys, tragic, tragic death, and what he did a couple of weekends ago, just a few weeks after her memorial service. I mean, I was shocked when I heard one of our pastors say this, but we have, you guys are doing Serve Week, which is amazing, and it's going to be phenomenal, and that is your opportunity to shift away from your pain and focus on somebody else. So even if you're new here at Fellowship Church, if today was your first day, I'm just telling you, you want to be a part of Serve Week. It will change your life when you focus on somebody else. But anyways, we have what we call First Saturday Serve. So it's kind of our version of your Serve Week where where people in our church go out in the community and just do different projects. And three weeks after he buried his wife, he showed up two weeks ago to Saturday Serve. And I'm just thinking, man, I'm sure he didn't want to get up that morning, probably didn't want to leave the house that morning, but he made a decision to shift from why to who. Second Corinthians 1.4 says, he comforts us in all our troubles so that, everybody say so that. Okay, so why would he comfort us in all our troubles? So that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. See, there's people that you can comfort that even your pastor can't comfort because he hasn't gone through what you've gone through. And how much more powerful is it when you have somebody that can comfort you that's been through what you've been through? But you've got to shift from why to to who. Back to the Tyler Glicken story remember the 20-year-old that lost his life when he came to Highlands College and all that I went through in that process. A couple weeks after his memorial service in Colorado Springs, his mom called me. She said, Lane, I want to buy a plane ticket and fly to Birmingham. and I want to meet with the man that killed my son. Really? I said, Ginger, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, I, I don't even know if I want to meet with him. Here I am, a pastor, and I'm like, there's bitterness, there's hatred even, like stuff in me, like it was a true accident, the the authorities found that there was no alcohol, and he wasn't speeding, we just don't know why he crossed over the center line and, and hit Tyler, and he doesn't remember it, he fought for his own life actually, in the hospital, and so I set up this meeting, and it's kind of crazy, but we set it up at a Wendy's, and I'll never forget it. I can take you to the table in the Wendy's on 280 in Birmingham because I'll never forget it. I didn't want to go in. And yet Ginger wanted to meet with him. He comes in hurting, like limping in a, in a cast, in a sling, obviously very nervous about this. And I sat at a table in Wendy's in Birmingham, Alabama, and I watched Ginger with tears pouring down her face, look at this man and say, I forgive you. And she took it another step, which I wasn't ready for. She said, I love you. And that is the greatest example to me of any person that made the shift from why to who. And I will never be the same after that moment. And I'm like, if Ginger can forgive him, I can forgive him. If Ginger can love him, I can love him. That man got set free from his own prison that day because of what she did. But I'm telling you this even greater than what it did in him, just imagine imagine the freedom in her. That's the power of forgiveness. That's the power of what God can do if we will shift from why to who. Going back to Jesus' question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer to his most painful question is actually you. If God had the time while Jesus was on the cross, he would have said your name and my name. That's why it went dark. That's why he was on the cross. Jesus knew the answer. He knew why he was going to the cross. He went there for you and for me. So, who is the question, who is the answer to your most painful question? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes all over the room. God, I pray for all my friends here. Pray for each one. God, I need this message, God. I want to make sure that in our most painful moments, that we would trust in your nature and your promises and our final destination in heaven, God. That we could have an eternal perspective on our life when nothing makes sense, when we ask you instead of people. So, God, I pray that you would touch every hurting person, God. <clears throat> Each person where they are with your grace and your mercy and your love. And, God, I pray that you'd give us the ability to make the shifts from why to what can I learn and why to worship and why to who can I help. And, God, I believe if we'll do those things, you'll do miracles. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed all over the room. Something very important for every one of us to know is that we can't do any of these things that we've talked about. We can't experience healing. We can't experience hope if we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You may call yourself a Christian. You may attend church. You may read your Bible. You may even throw up a prayer here and there. That does not mean you have relationships. If you're here today and you'd say, Lane, I've got to get right with Jesus. I need that relationship. Some of you need to come back to that relationship. You remember what it was like to be close to Jesus, but like a long lost high school friend, you've let it go and you haven't been in that relationship. And you can come back to him. Some of you have never had it before. And so you have an opportunity before you right now to start that relationship. Either way, the same thing happens. We surrender our life to him. And we ask for that relationship, and it begins in that moment. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, this is between you and God. If you'd say, Lane, I want that relationship. I need to get right with Jesus today. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment at the count of three. And I believe God will do a miracle in your life, and that relationship will either be reestablished or it will begin, and you will never be the same again. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd say, Lane, that's me, count me in, pray for me, I want that relationship. Lift your hand up. One, two, three. All over the room. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That hand goes up for God to see it, not for me to see it. That's your faith. God, that's me. Keep your hand up. Hold it up high. That's an act of faith. You just move toward Him. The Bible says when you move toward Him, He moves toward you. When you draw near to Him, He draws near to you. You can put your hands back down. And I'm going to lead all of us. Church, if you join us in a very simple prayer of surrender and of relationship. Say this, say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender everything to you. I make you my Lord. I accept what you did on the cross when you died and paid for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and make me a new person. Thank you for loving me before I loved you. Thank you for our relationship. Thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Let's give God praise for changed lives and for his word.